Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Welcome to this episode of the SG Engage podcast. I'm your host, Steve McLaughlin with Blackball. We spent a lot of time, energy, and attention on engaging the right donors, building relationships with them, and other key objectives. But let's be honest for a minute. Those are mostly external activities. And one of the keys to improvement is looking inward, not to get all zen on you, but I'm going to anyhow. And that's exactly where this whole idea of performance management comes into play. Joining me to talk about performance management is Stacey Rooney, a principal business consultant with BlackBaud. Welcome to the show, Stacey. Thanks, Steve. Great to be here. So for a lot of listeners, this whole idea of performance management is probably a completely new concept idea. So maybe let's start at the beginning. What is this whole idea around performance management? The looking at how gift officers and and fundraising staff are performing versus just the traditional, what are we doing with donors? Maybe we can just demystify this topic a bit. Absolutely. I think it really comes down to some of the using metrics and data to to be self-aware, essentially. I feel like sometimes when we say performance management, it can seem punitive or can can trigger a sense of defensiveness. And that's really not the energy that I think of when I think of performance management. So I, I guess I maybe shouldn't project that out either. But it's really, I think, more of looking in a mirror to be able to effectively see ourselves and what we're doing and how to best work smarter, not harder, and essentially to learn from each other, learn from our own metrics so that we can hopefully, you know, raise the most money to bring forth success for the mission that we're raising money for, whatever that may be. Yeah, I like the idea of it's looking in the mirror. It's a bit of reflection. You know, traditionally, a lot of organizations and their fundraising programs are very focused on are we engaging with the right donors in the right ways? Um, are we asking the right type of giving levels? Like it's it's very externally focused. And, and that is super important too, right? But mm-hmm. there's the looking inward part, which is, you know, how is our staff performing? And, and I like the point you made about it's not to be punitive, like, oh, you're not doing what you're supposed to. And performance management is about, you know, is not about saying you're not doing what you're supposed to get back to work. It's, hey, how are we doing? What does good performance look like? And also, I think there's also an element of how are we doing relative to our peers? Because maybe it's not even just looking in the mirror. It's it's looking in a multidimensional mirror as well, right? Absolutely. I, I am a big believer in the idea of kind of illuminating the whole room, yeah, essentially, so that you can do a 360 and look around and see, you know, kind of in the shadows as well to say, I I may or may not like what I see when I look in the mirror and do I want to do anything to change that or not? And how can we design a system where our fundraisers feel teed up for success? Because I know having come from a, a background of fundraising myself, 
I felt like I was just getting on this treadmill that was making me run faster and harder every year. And I wasn't necessarily the better for it at the end of the year. I was just more tired. I hadn't raised any more money as much as I was just spending a lot of time pushing obstacles out of my way. And if, you know, from a leadership standpoint, we can have that illuminated look at the whole room and that self-awareness, we are just that much more equipped to be able to say, here are the obstacles we're all collectively fighting. So rather than having all the separate officers feeling like they're bumping up against that same obstacle, let's let's look at it in a systemic way and see if we can't just make our lives easier in general. Um, and if not, then if it isn't an obstacle we can get out of our way, at least let's have candid conversations about how to how to deal with that immovable obstacle if if there is such a thing. No, I think that's 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 spot on. I think the other thing too is we tend to think a lot about the art of fundraising, in particular major gift officers, frontline fundraisers. But the science is super important too. And I, I think this whole idea of performance management is the combination of the art and the science, right? We're not trying to diminish the artfulness of of what it takes to build relationships and engage with those donors. But there's a science part too. And one of the things we find is certainly because we've got um, you know, many, many customers for a number of years who've been using some of BlackBot's fundraiser performance management tools, is it all starts with this whole idea of when you start when you have a portfolio of donors and you start assigning those to your gift officers, whether you've got two, five, fifteen, twenty, thirty, <laughs> you've got to understand how is that portfolio being managed by those gift officers. I mean, it, it starts right there, right? It, 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 the very right. core of this is you're, when you're assigning a portfolio of, of prospects and donors to a gift officer, you want to know, well, what are they doing? How are they engaging? What are they doing and, and measuring it? Absolutely. And that aligns with one of the tools that I'm able to use in my work as a principal business consultant. And I primarily align with BlackBot customers that have the, the, the product, Fundraiser Performance Management, that we use. And one of the features of that is a maturity model, essentially. And there's four different stages in this fundraising maturity model. And the beginning is just, is there a fundraiser somewhere that's entering a contact report or having these conversations? It might be kind of random or they're, you know, they're just doing their best and don't have a system to support them. But is there somebody attempting to talk to donors about giving? And then the next stage moves into an increased level of intentionality around that portfolio management. There might be predictive models at play. There might be um, prospect management in general, just increased intentionality and research around, okay, if this, if this officer is going to go out and talk to people, let's try to make sure they're the quote unquote right people or, you know, people that we, we think are going to be more lucrative or have higher affinity. And then the stages three and four get into a little bit more sophisticated fundraising where it's the use of proposals to have that intentional long-term plan with a donor where you might be planning a big ask that's maybe 12 months, 18 months out. And what steps are you going to take to build toward that and, and capturing that in the data? 
And I know when we work with organizations, one of the first things we do in that maturity model is sort of plot out, where are you today? And then where do you want to be in the future? Because I think, you know, from experience, some organizations say, we don't want to be on the extreme end of the maturity model. We don't think that will work well for what we're trying to accomplish, which is okay. Um, But knowing where you are and where you want to get to is super important. Absolutely. Again, that's a conversation where I usually use that message of like, it's just like looking in a mirror. And do you like what you see? Is this where you want to be as an organization? Maybe it's stage one, maybe it's stage two. That's There's no shame in happily being at that phase and saying, this is good for us. And I guess I should have added too, part of what's underneath the concept of the maturity model is looking at three main legs of a stool, I guess, which are more, some might be more in our control than others, but it's the level of output that as fundraisers you have. Um, We often think of that more from the gift officers that are having those one-on-one conversations with prospective main significant donors, but it can also incorporate the idea of direct marketing output and just your whole strategy and and output um, as one. Two is the processes you have internally. And that gets to the idea we were talking about of are, are your people set up for success? Have you removed as many obstacles as possible? Are you thinking about how many you people, how many people you have on the front lines that are outward facing versus the ratio of how many people are supporting that on the back end. So process is the second. And then the third is budget. And certainly with the times that we're living in right now, budget is a big concern. And there might be people that and organizations that have aspired to higher levels of maturity at a faster rate than what budget may allow right now. So again, it's just being real with ourselves, acknowledging what it, what's within our control and what isn't, and playing the best game we can with the hand that we're dealt. The other thing that I found really fascinating about this work is that because we have, you know, at this point, probably tens of thousands of fundraisers and gift officers using this solution for a number of years, we have a lot of longitudinal data, right? It's, it's, I would sort of compare it to if you have a Fitbit or an Apple watch uh, and millions of people have those, there's a tremendous amount of data and patterns that you can then look at to see what does good performance look like. Curious if you could talk a little bit about some of the things we've learned about good performance and bad performance of sort of what does the top performing fundraiser persona look like from a data perspective relative to others that, that maybe fall short? That's a great analogy with the, the data that we have in our, our Apple watches or what have you. Yes, we have spent some time digging into, it's a concept we've called prime officer. Um, and the part of the idea is that you might have some officers that are good at certain parts of the job, right? You might have somebody that is really great at getting their foot in the door, getting those initial visits, and just able to have that initial insight. Maybe they're charming an email or what have you, that they're able to get their foot in the door. You might have somebody that's a really great closer, that when it comes to just really selling the final sell and getting that donor to go 
to a, a even higher level gift than what had originally been envisioned. You might have people that are good at kind of everything in between. So we've had various profiles that we've thought of with the types of officers that might be really good at a certain aspect. And then you have some officers that are good at everything. So it's kind of, you know, maybe a triathlete versus somebody that's only good at, at running a sprint. And those prime officers that are really good at a lot of things, we've been trying to dive in more and more to their behavior and how can we identify that early and what is the best, not that there's a uniform way to manage officers, but is there a philosophy of, you know, just get out of the way when you have a prime officer, just let them run wild and do their good work. And I think a lot of it comes down to that there's a discipline that keeping at it, making sure you're doing those contacts, getting those visits and, and building those relationships. And there's a discipline to that, probably again, similar to maybe a marathoner or an athlete that even when they don't feel like getting out of bed at five in the morning, they still go to the gym. So there's that element of discipline. And then there is, I guess, similarly, you can kind of tell when you're watching certain athletes that are enjoying what they're doing as well. It's not just the, that they're begrudgingly going to the gym, that they're really driven to want to to accomplish that goal. So in fundraising, it's probably those fundraisers that are also really attached to the mission for which they're funding, raising money for and feeling connected to. So that, again, back to that art and science where the, the science part, you can you can measure how many minutes were you at the gym, how many contacts have you made in the fundraising world, how many gifts have you closed, how many proposals have you entered if you use proposals. And so you can measure that, but then there is also going to be what's that art of when you're in front of a donor, when you're selling the story, and when you're making sure that they're really understanding the mission and the importance of the mission, that, that can be a bit more of the art side of things where you're letting letting your passion for that shine through. Yeah. And to your point, that's a, a you know, sort of intangible factor, right? Of mm -hmm. people being passionate about their work and really engaged in the mission of cause uh, work, you know, almost regardless of vertical. But we also, I think, find in the data, there is this connection between activity and outcome that we can look at data and say, this is a this is a fundraiser who's on track to be a high performer because they're doing the activities in a very similar way as a high performer, even if they're just in the early stages. And, and I think that's a a really remarkable thing in this day and age to be able to use the data for is to get a sense of, you know, we may have just brought on a new staff member who's a fundraiser, and we can tell in the first you know few months looking at their performance relative to people who've been here at our organization a long time, or even peer organizations, are they on track to be a high performer? I think in a world where really talented fundraisers can be a scarce, <laughs> there can be some scarcity there, knowing who we've got on track can be really powerful too. One of the aha moments I've had in my work is really that there are some there are fundraisers out in the world that don't like asking for money. <laughs> and it's weird, but I think part of it is as you know, maybe we're good at a certain part of it or you elevated, you were in annual giving or direct marketing. And you thought, oh, I'll try my hand at being a gift officer. And then you find yourself in this on this path 
but you aren't actually comfortable with the asking for money part. You're good at a lot of the things around it. And that doesn't inherently mean that you won't raise money if you don't like it. But I think that's part of, again, the, the it factor is the people that are really comfortable with and okay asking for money as part of being a fundraiser is kind of key to that. And that isn't always the case. So, and I guess my other point is you talk about both ends of the continuum when you, when can we identify at the beginning of a hire when like, Ooh, in the first quarter of working with this, you know, gift officer, I can tell that they're, they're really disciplined. They're ramping really quickly. What sorts of things can we find there? On the other end of the continuum is paying attention to the officers that have been around for a long time. And there is, I think, the assumption that if an officer has been around with the same organization for a long time, that they are, they automatically have these longstanding relationships and that they're, that would be a good thing for the organization. And it could be, but you might also have somebody that's been flying just under the radar for five, 10, 15 years doing just enough, you know, to be okay and maybe at a, a B or a C kind of level performance. And I guess that isn't inherently bad, but again, an opportunity maybe for those that are managing the officers to to find where can we, again, not in a punitive way, but where can we enhance every officer on the team to get to that next level of wherever they are right now? Where can we inspire? Where can we get obstacles out of their way to really let the, the fundraisers get out and fundraise? Yeah. I think the other thing about this approach is, you know, traditionally on the fundraising side, organizations often look at the case for support, right? That are going to go into a, a capital campaign or a significant you know, ramp up in their fundraising. And so they would work on a case of for support to justify what goes along with that. But I think you've also seen this phenomenon where um, organizations using, you know, fundraiser performance management have used it as the case for investment internally to say, hey, here's our performance with the, the team we have on, in the field today. If we were to add two, three, five, ten, gift officers, here's likely the performance we could achieve. And, and that's, a, that's you know, a different approach uh, than traditionally, let's just buy more tooling or throw a bunch of other resources at a problem. But being able to have some performance metrics that say, here's how we're tracking today you know, in a, with a, with a, or within the organization. If we were to add or invest in more staff, here's the results we're likely to get because we can quantify it in ways that perhaps we couldn't do before. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when, again, and when I am working with a fundraiser performance management customer and at the go live experience where we're training and, and explaining the, the tool and the solution to the whole team, I often do say very similar words to what you just said of this Officers, this is an investment that the organization has taken to invest in you as fundraisers to capture what you're doing for to make that easier. So things like entering contact reports, some of those things that can be like such a drag of, oh, I, I like talking to the donors, but I don't like having to go back to my office and type up what I just said. I want to keep going. So we try to put the tool tries to help make all of that easier so that 
then when I'm having like a quarterly conversation with leadership of an organization, we can have that accurate information at our fingertips, which again is like illuminating a whole room where we can say, here's the type of activity the, that your team is having. Here's where, that, where they've been focused. Maybe they've been focused on stewardship. Is that where you intended the focus to be? Or are officers kind of getting almost lost in responding to these longstanding donors that are maybe more time consuming than we thought? Oh my gosh, that's a new insight. Let's, let's think about where should our officers really be spending time? We want them cultivating and soliciting. All right, let's have that conversation then so that we've seen the data, we've illuminated the room to see, boy, our officers are really getting accidentally distracted by a donor that's calling, you know, maybe a needier donor and not that, that we don't want to support all of our donors' needs, but it can be helpful to zoom out and look at it. I think of the Google Maps view when you're in the street level versus when you can zoom out to the global view. And so often in our day-to-day -day lives, we need to be zooming back and forth between the views, but I think it can get really easy to be caught in the street level view and not always able to come up for that zoomed out macro level view to really understand, whoa, 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 what's happening underneath this? We're, we're getting distracted by things that we shouldn't be distracted by. Yeah. And that feedback loop is so important because I think old school thinking is just give me the tool, give me the set of weights, give me the treadmill, and I'll just go do what I've got to do, right? I'll figure this thing out. And I think what you've identified and our team as well in this regard is, no, I mean, there's a bit of coaching and training and the feedback loop, like you said, of, you know, we're going to check in with you on a, on a regular basis and say, okay, if at the start of this journey, you told us you were here and you want to move to here and here and here, how are we doing? And let's look at some data and let's be, maybe this is, you know, it's time to stand in front of the mirror again, but how are we doing, right? Are we doing the things a quarter ago that we said we were going to? Um, what changes have we made? I think that feedback loop and that check-in with, you know, sort of how are we measuring our progress and how we might adjust is, is critical to this too, right? Absolutely. And I think of myself and my, my workouts and <laughs> that I might say, I have a goal of running a 5K in three months. And then if I'm working with a coach who says, okay, then, then that means you need to run two miles today. I'm going to resist even, you know, even though I know I want to get to my ultimate goal, I don't always want to do the work to get there. But to your point, by just putting a treadmill in my home and looking at it isn't going to make me qualified to run the 5k in three months. I need to do the work to get on that treadmill and actually execute so that in my role and those of us that have the, that are principal business consultants, it is that sense of being a coach to say, okay, you invested in this, but we're not going to let you just have that treadmill sit in the corner of your room while you watch TV and you know, try to try to forget that it's there. You wanted this. We're here with you. Let's let's make sure we're making the progress toward the goals that you said you wanted to accomplish when you first made this investment. Yeah, I think that's a good way to bring it all together. Is you know, it's it starts with knowing you want to do better, you want to improve, having some goals, but also having a, a, a coach, a, a trainer, a partner along the way that helps check in. And certainly, 
maybe a, an interesting topic to close on is that that data has also allowed us to see patterns in terms of you know what's what's been happening with with covid and the impact that that potentially has had frontline fundraisers any any um insights you might share around some of the things we've seen there in the past couple of months certainly we hear a lot about uh, gift officers uh, suddenly zoom and facetime become their best friends as a way to engage but is there anything interesting we've seen in the data so far absolutely well i guess as it relates to the data, there are some specific parts of just even how do we, when, when I'm going to my system to enter that I had a contact, how do I enter that? Maybe I used to say it was a face-to-face -face visit, but I can't do that anymore. Do I enter it as a phone call? Do I have a, a Zoom contact type? So there, there are some kind of street level concerns about how to actually track that accurately. But if I zoom out, I think one of the the things we're observing when we look at the increase, we do see an increased number of contacts happening. They aren't obviously all face-to-face, -face, but I think there were a fair amount of wellness check-ins and just conversations trying to make sure that that relationship is secure and that the mission of the organization is clear to, to the prospective donors. But as we hone in specifically on the visits part, one of my observations that I've been thinking a lot about is when you transition from pre-pandemic to life in the pandemic, the well-established relationships, if your organization had long-standing relationships with prospects and donors, those translate more easily into just being able to pick up the phone and say, hey, are you good? You know, we can, you have enough of a foundation on those and then I've heard some, on the flip side, I've heard some really cool anecdotal stories about interesting acquisition or discovery conversations that are happening just as donor behavior might be shifting a bit in this time. People that maybe feel fortunate to have a job and or income to trying to support organizations that might be struggling. So that end of the continuum too where as an industry, I think we're really trying to establish a new tool set are in those in-between places. I would say like that second to fifth visit. What do we do when we're trying to develop a relationship? And maybe historically we would say, come for a site tour or you know, meet me for coffee beyond this. And we don't have all of those tools. So I think we're just trying to level set as an industry of, okay, if I can't meet you person to person or if I can't invite you to a reception, what's the virtual equivalent of helping us take this relationship to the next level and helping the prospective donors get connected to the mission of the organizations. Yeah, like you said, we're all learning to adapt and, and having a tool that, that helps us see how that adaptation is going, it can be super powerful too, right? Yes, one of the things where, as it ties back to the data that we're tracking is that pipeline concept too, because if we're Right now, if we're having less of those initial visits and not kind of feeding who are our next big donors going to be, then that is going to have an impact for years to come as our pipeline maybe trickles out a bit. How do we make sure that that stays strong so that we aren't still somehow impacted in two years, three years, five years for this slowing that we might be having in some of our relationship building? Stacey, thanks for uh, joining us on the show here today, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back in the future. We can dig into this topic in greater detail as well. 
I'd love it. As you can tell, it's an area I'm passionate about. Thanks for having me, Steve. Great. That's it for this episode of the SG Engage podcast. This episode is brought to you by the letter R. Thanks for listening.